sticker that says 26.2 on someone's car, you're like, that's crazy. Like, that's why they invented cars, so no one has to run that much. Or maybe you look at a car and it says 13.1, and you're like, they're half as crazy as people who run the full marathons. You're one of those people that I'd like that sticker that just says 0.0, drive around proud that that is how much I choose to run. But then maybe you're sitting there and there's something inside of you, maybe it's the Holy Spirit, maybe it's just like, hmm, wonder what it'd be like to actually do this thing called run, you know? And so, like, maybe you hear people talk about this thing called a couch potato to 5K, and it's like, all right, maybe I want to give this a try just to be able to say that I do it. And so you've got all the good intentions, but it's not happening, you know, you can't sign up. So maybe I'm going to talk to one of my friends. Let's do this thing together. And so finally you go on whatever website it is, you click to register, and now you are signed up. So that means it has to happen, right? Or maybe let me ask this, maybe it's a beautiful day, and so whether it's you or your immediate family or a group of people, you decide, well, let's get outside, so let's go to maybe the zoo, or let's go to, say, Botanica Gardens, or maybe we will still go inside and go to a museum, or maybe we'll even just go to an amusement park. And so you make it through the ticket booth, whatever that looks like, you are at the park and you're standing there going, so where do we begin? Like there's all these different routes, you know, which animals are we going to go see first? Which ride are we going to go to first? Like which route are we going to take? You have a decision to make as you're standing there right at the entrance. Or let me ask you this. Maybe, just picture yourself, you are a somewhat roller coaster person. So like I know some people are like, man, it doesn't matter what kind of roller coaster it is. I am ready to ride it. The thrillness is awesome. And so that's you. Some of you are like, yep, if it gets like over three feet off the ground, that's too high. I'm going to stay on the ground. Why would I want to entrust my life to these little cars that go on the track and all that kind of stuff? Some of you are in the middle. There are some that you'd love to go on and some that you won't. And so imagine you're one of those middle people and you're like, okay, you're getting in line for this roller coaster. You're there with someone else. But the closer that you get to the front, you begin to second guess yourself. And you're like, I don't know. And you see that first hill right outside there. You hear people scream every time they go down and you're just not quite sure. And right over there is the chicken exit. Like that looks pretty great. You're trying to decide all the way up till the moment that you're latched in, you get to make the decision of, am I riding this ride or am I going to use that wonderful door right over that way? Here's the thing. Last week, we looked at how Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. And we looked at Matthew 13, 44, and it's like a treasure. And we looked at what Randy Alcorn said in his book, The Treasure Principle. We said there is such joy when we find heaven, when we find the kingdom of heaven, that we're ready to give up everything else to be able to obtain it. And we then want to use our own resources so that other people will come to know this treasure. And we talked about that you can't take it with you but you can send it on ahead. The things that we have, you can send it on ahead. But just like our opening scenarios, we can have the best intentions about giving at some point, but we still have to begin. Or we maybe we want to give, but we just don't know, where am I even going to start with this? Or maybe there's fear. There's fear of certain things that are tied into giving and I have to decide, am I going to step out and do it or not? 
Now, sometimes when we're talking about giving to the church, one of the things that we need to realize is that sometimes people are relatively new Christians and they don't understand, oh, this is something that God desires me to do. And that's why we do series like this, last week and this week, talking about this is what God wants, this is what he desires from us. But other times, there are these roadblocks that are in our life that kind of get in the way. And even as I mentioned that word roadblock, like none of us love seeing a roadblock as we're like driving. You know, one of those things that is blocking one of the roads. Now, maybe we're excited about the final product. Man, this road is going to be fantastic when it's done or this bridge when it's done is going to be great. But for now, I'm in a hurry. I have a place to go to and this is slowing me down. And so sometimes that roadblock sends you off on a complete new detour that maybe takes extra time. Sometimes it takes you from two lanes to get into one And so you're one of those people that, okay, I'm going to get into one lane because everyone else is until all those people are going by you and you're like thinking Jesusly thoughts towards them and all that kind of stuff because you just want to get to where you have to go. And so here we are, this roadblock, it is slowing me down. Roadblocks, they are designed to keep people from going in specific directions or specific places. And although there's a lot of us in the church that have heard about this idea of giving, there can be these roadblocks that have been set up that make it harder to give. And today I want to look at four of these specific ones, and then how do we overcome these roadblocks? And so the first roadblock is this, this idea that I don't need to give. All right, I don't need to give. This is a mindset. And again, we talked about it a little bit last week, but this idea that this is my money, and so I get to do with it what I want. And so having this view, it is, it's my money. I'm deciding what I want to do with it, how I want to spend it, as opposed to, we talked about this fact that all of it really is God's, like everything on this earth is his. And so that which he has given to me really is his resources. And how does he want me to use it? And ultimately this roadblock comes down to a heart issue. It comes down to this idea of, I want to really be able to follow God in this area as opposed to it's just mine. Like I have to want this roadblock to be taken down. But as I do, it changes. Like it changes the more that I draw close to him because God helps me to realize that it's not my money and that I'm called to trust and obey in every aspect of my life. But sometimes we're talking about this idea of I don't need to give. We could also just add the word much. Like, I don't need to give much. That can be the mindset. Thinking about the church, it's a really good cause. Like, I'm all for it. Um, And so I'm going to give every now and then. You know, we used to pass the trays. And so, hey, I'll I'll give every now and then, or I'll pass the buckets out there. And okay, I'll put some money in. Or maybe I've got 20 in my billfold this week. So, you know, I'm actually carrying cash. I'll put some in there. It's, It's a giving when I think about it, as opposed to more that I've disciplined myself. It really is I'll give out of convenience. So I don't necessarily give much. But in the Old Testament, God spoke to his people about giving a tithe or a tenth. So literally 10%. And in fact, it was the first fruits. It wasn't the leftovers. And there were also offerings above and beyond that that people could give. But all of this was meant to be an act of worship, not just I have to do this. And I've heard some people say, but you realize we're not under the Old Testament laws anymore. And the only time that tithing is mentioned in the New Testament, it's not as a rule of something that we have to follow. Instead, Jesus is mentioning it to the Pharisees and he's saying, hey, you guys, I understand that you tithe, but your hearts are not following after God. And so it's just become a checklist. 
And so in the New Testament, it talks about God wanting us to give cheerfully. All of his rules, both for us and the Israelites, are for the purpose of cultivating a relationship. That's what he's got things there for. And so if someone were to come up to me and tell me, hey, we're not under the tithe anymore, I'm not going to argue with you. However, that statement in and of itself should not be used as a justification to give God less. Like, think about this. Because of Jesus, because he came to earth and lived and then died, because of what he has done, no longer do we have to take animals to a temple and offer sacrifices for all sorts of things. No longer do we have to do that because he was our sacrifice, and so we are just called to be living sacrifices. In the Old Testament, no longer do we have to follow the rules of being circumcised to be able to show that, hey, we are followers of God. But now the New Testament does speak of a circumcision of the heart that I'm following after him. You think about the Old Testament, like here's people following after God, but now because of Jesus and what he has chosen to do for us, like God lives inside of us. Not just somewhere that we're following, but he lives inside of us to guide us. All of this because of Jesus. And think about this Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7 that he comes and speaks. Over and over again, he says, you have heard that it was said, so this is what has been taught, but now I say to you, but now I am teaching you this. And every time he says something, it's stricter than the law that was already in place. See, what Jesus did was he raised the bar didn't lower it. And so do you really think that God in this area of giving is just going to be like, eh, I think I'm going to lower the bar here. Like if tithing isn't something that is still required by God, do you think that his heart is such that now that I've sent my son to die for you, I'm really okay if your devotion in this area becomes less? You see, instead I see Jesus saying and coming that we're supposed to love him with all of our hearts and souls and minds and strengths. And so this idea that roadblock number one is this mindset that I don't need to give or I don't need to give much. It can keep us from giving. Roadblock number two is this, unbelief or a lack of trust. And with this roadblock, it isn't so much that I don't want to give, but it's based on fear. It's built upon fear that I'm afraid to give or I'm afraid to give out of my comfort zone. And so if I give, I'm not exactly positive that God is going to take care of me. Like, I don't know that I'm to that point in my relationship with him yet. Or maybe it's even, I don't even see how I can survive on this amount of money that I make anyway. And so now to take part of that and give it back to him, like, that just seems irresponsible. Sometimes we might even believe, I believe that God can take care of me, but will he? Like, I know that he can, but will he in this circumstance if I give? Before we get too angry with ourselves, sometimes we can also look at biblical figures that did the exact same thing. And not always with money, but you think about Abraham. Here's God telling him, I want you to go to this new place. And so he gets up and moves. And you're going to see multiple times in his life that he trusts after God. But here's this spot that he's coming into this other areas. And he's got his wife and he's afraid that they're going to kill him because of his wife. And he says, hey, I want you to start telling people that you're my sister. I've seen God work, and I know he can take care of me, but in this situation, will he? Or even David, like you see God work through him, and he kills Goliath. He becomes king. He's protected during all these years of running from Saul. And at the end of his life, there's this moment that he comes up going, I think it's time to count our military men, which is one of the things God said, yeah, don't do. 
And in this moment, instead of trusting that God is going to take care of me, I know he can, but let's make sure and let's see how many men we have. And so he leans upon his own understanding. Or you look at Solomon and here's the guy that God said, well, ask for whatever you want. And he's like, you know, I'd really like this heart to be able to discern, to be able to lead, give me wisdom to be able to do this well. And God does that. And yet you still see in his life, he seeks wealth and wisdom and fame because I know that God can take care of me, but, but will he? Knowing God can take, will, uh, take care of me and knowing that he will is quite a bit different. And sometimes those seeds of doubt can cause us to not give. Sometimes there can also be this thought that as much as I love God, I really still like being in control of my life. Like I like being the one in charge. I want the final say of what to do with my things and what I do. I think about a bumper sticker that used to be a little more popular. I haven't seen it in a while, but it simply said that Jesus is my co-pilot on the car. And I'm like, I get the point of that, but you're kind of missing it because Jesus really should be the pilot and you're the one not in control. But we love to be in control and it's hard for us to let him have the wheel. And so as much as I want to give, sometimes unbelief or even a lack of trust can cause me not to do that. Roadblock number three. It's materialism or pride or insecurity, and we can kind of group all those things together. Because materialism, it's pretty big in our culture. We like our things, like different things. I mean, you like different things than someone, you know, maybe sitting right next to you. And in and of itself, it is not wrong to have things. But sometimes we can begin to think, I'm a better person because I have all this stuff. Like, I really like the comforts that I live with, and, and if I give... It's not going to allow me to have all of that. Or sometimes we begin to think this idea that I find my worth in the things that I have. And I play the comparison game with other people and I look what they have and I look what I have and maybe I begin to feel better about myself. And not that we would ever use those words that I play this comparison game, but, but we all do at times. Sometimes maybe if you're thinking about the things that you have, it can cause us to have pride in ourselves that isn't necessarily the healthy kind of pride the latest fashion, the latest trend, those things allow me to be a better person. Or sometimes we could even look at this idea if materialism leads to pride, not having some of those things can lead to an insecurity. That like, I feel like I need those things to feel better about myself. Or if I don't have those things, I begin to look at other people and feel like less of a person. And so what we do is we hold tightly to the money and the stuff that we own. And Charles Swindoll one time was talking to Corey Ten Boom, and she said something to him that he said he's never forgotten. She said, Chuck, I've learned that we must hold everything loosely because when I grip it tightly, it hurts when my father pries my fingers loose and takes it from me. Like we shouldn't hold our stuff so tightly. And so without diving too deeply into all these things, you can see how materialism, which can lead to pride or insecurity, can be this roadblock in causing us not to give. And roadblock number four is this, the illusion that the earth is our home. 
This illusion that this earth is our home. You see, because we've spent our entire life on this earth, sometimes we begin just to think, yeah, this is our home. We get to feeling pretty comfortable about being in this place. And one of the biggest reasons that people do not give is because we get in this mindset that this place, this place right now is what it's all about. And even though earth and the life that we get to live while we're on it has some great pleasures, this world is not our home. And so I want to look at a couple scriptures that help us to understand this fact. And so if you have your Bibles or your tablets or whatever, open up to the book of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. Okay, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. And as you're turning there, let me tell you, Hebrews chapter 11 is what some people call the faith chapter. And it talks about all these individuals that list them and tells this is how they followed God. By faith, they did certain things. And so we read about Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham. And then we're going to get to this verse. And then there's others that are listed after him, like Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and his parents. We read about Israel and Rahab. And then there's even a whole list of people that say, we can't even and tell you everything that they've got because they're just going on with the letter. But there's all these names of people who, by faith, listen to God and live the way that he wanted them to. And so in the middle of that, we have Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, that says this. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and they welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. See, all these people were living according to what God had promised, and yet the full promise was yet to come because they knew that this world was not their home. And so we, we're pilgrims, we're strangers, we're foreigners, we're aliens on this earth. This world is not our home. And the fullness of what is promised, we have not even begun to experience all of it. We're simply passing through. Now I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. And in this section, Paul is talking about pressing on towards this heavenly prize. This heavenly prize. He said, that's the life that God wants us to strive for. And in this text, he mentions, hey, there are some that are enemies of the cross because they are living only focused on earthly things. Like this is what's most important in their lives. But then he gets to verse 20 and talking about this is how we ought to live. And so in Philippians 3, verse 20, Paul says this, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, a citizen, it's an inhabitant of a place, or a member of a state or a nation. Because you were either born there, or you have worked hard to be able to be accepted as a member. And with that, there comes privileges. And so our citizenship is in heaven, not just here on earth. So we are under the protection and the guidance of the King of Kings. We have permission to enter into his presence at any time. And part of who you and I are is found in our citizenship. And so our identity is found in him. That Our homeland, the place that we are going to, is with him. And so finally, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. 
So, so far we've seen that we're foreigners here on this earth, that our citizenship is in heaven. And in this last passage, Paul talks about what Jesus has done so that you and I, we can be reconciled to him. We can be brought back to him. And he says, you and I, when we choose him, we are a new creation, not a little bit fixed up. We are completely new and we no longer see things from a worldly viewpoint. And then in living that way, you and I were to show God's reconciling love to other people. And so that takes us to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, that says this, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. An ambassador. That's an official representative of a state or a country. And so you and I, we are called ambassadors. As followers of Christ, we are ambassadors representing our true country, our true king. But just like I said a while ago, like this is where we've lived our entire lives up to this point. We can relate to things here because they're familiar with us and we're comfortable about it. We don't know as much about our heavenly home as we do our earthly home. And sometimes that can cause us not to be as passionate about it or even choose to give towards that. But this world is not our home. In fact, the earthly possessions that we gain, they're not going to help us when we live in the heavenly kingdom. Malcolm Forbes once said, he who dies with the most toys wins. But the truth is that he who dies with the most toys still dies. Like it's true. And so our stuff, it doesn't matter when we end up going home. And that's why you actually never see, well, this picture. You never see this on the road, okay? Maybe, I guess I can't say never because someone took a picture of it, but like you just don't see this hearse pulling a U-Haul because you and I, we cannot take our stuff with us. You know what John D. Rockefeller, who is one of the wealthiest men who ever lived, he died and someone asked his accountant, hey, how much money did John leave behind? And he answered, He left all of it. That's a good answer. I want you to imagine this situation. Like your home is here in the United States, but you go to visit France for three years and you're living in a hotel during that whole entire time. And you're told that you can't just bring anything back with you on the airplane, um, but you can earn money. You can send those deposits home. And so as you're living there for the three years, I want you to think about, are you going to spend all sorts of money filling your hotel room with expensive furniture and wall hangings? And the answer is no. Like you would send most of your money home. You would spend some of what you have on temporary, on your temporary residence, on comforts there. But most of what you have, you would send on ahead because you know that it would be waiting for you when you get home. And many times we have this wrong view that the place that we're living right now, this is our home. And so we can get caught up being content in that. And we forget that as nice as this place is, it is not our home. And so without even realizing it, this roadblock, it detours so many people from giving to God. So what do we do to not let these roadblocks win? Well, I know this is going to sound really simple, but we should give. And I know I just said, hey, I I see these roadblocks, they cause us to stop giving. But really, if we choose to give, giving helps us against these roadblocks. Like we're like, okay, I can still overcome this. Just think about this. That first roadblock was this idea, this mindset. I don't need to give. Well, even if it's a struggle, if I begin to give, I realize this is something God is asking me to do. I'm being obedient. And then 
He begins to work on my own heart and my mind as I step out in faith. Or if we talk about unbelief or a lack of trust, if I begin to give even a little bit, it is a practical way that builds my trust in him that I'm able to see are the things that I believe or the things that I say I believe and then the way that I live, do they match up? Do I really trust God in all of these things? If we talk about materialism or pride or insecurity and I choose to give, it helps me not to place my identity in all my stuff. I'm not holding so tightly to the things that I can see. Or finally, if I give, it reminds me where my true home is because right now I'm just passing through. And I know that's pretty simple, but so maybe you're like, well, okay, I get it and I want to give, but where do I start? Well, here's three things. The first thing I would tell you is that you need to realize that giving is a skill. Now, I'm just going to tell you, whenever I hear that word skill, my mind goes to Napoleon Dynamite. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever seen that amazing movie or that terrible movie, whichever way you want to call it. But I think about Napoleon Dynamite stand, uh, sitting there with his friend and asking what kind of skills girls like. And he's like, oh, nunchuck skills and bow hunting skills, computer hacking skills. You know, girls only want boyfriends that have skills. Like, that's what I think about, okay? It does not mean this idea of skills and giving that you have to have giving skills to be able to give. That's not what it means. But I do want you to understand this, that a skill is something you get better at with practice. And so giving is very much that way as well, that as you give, your attitude changes towards it. And you might even begin saying, I want to give more and more because I, I like helping people. Or you begin to see God working in ways in your life that you're like, I had no idea how this was going to work out. And yet he took care of it yet again. Like challenging yourself can be an exciting way to see God work in your life. And so giving it may not start out easy, and it won't always be easy. But I will tell you, the more that you do it, the more natural it feels and the easier it does become. The second thing I would tell you is this. Starting young makes it easier. If you start young, it makes it easier. Many habits are difficult to break after we've become accustomed to living that way for a long time. So, I mean, to those of you guys who are married, think about it. What kind of rules changed once you were married as opposed to when you were living by yourself? And not that they were bad rules or anything like that, but things just shift because now, you know, life circumstances are different. So you have to learn those things. Or maybe think about way back when, when you had to learn how to tie your shoe. And so then either you're teaching your child or someone else teaches you a new way to tie your shoe. And man, that is hard to think about what the loop and the bunny and how does that go? Like, it just doesn't make sense to you because that's not the way you learned. Or maybe we could just talk about new math and you're like, why can't we just do it the way I know it, okay? And there's all these things that if I'm taught a certain way, then to break that habit becomes really difficult. But if you start good habits when you're young, it is easier to keep them. And that's why even the sermon is so important for kids, middle school and high school students as it is for adults, that we should get into the habit right now. And for adults, make sure you teach your kids this habit. I still remember my first job. That first summer, I wanted to earn $1,000 because there were two things I wanted to do with my money. I really wanted to put $100 in the offering bank. I know I could have done more than that, but I'm like, I want to do $100. That's a nice round number. And then I wanted to use $100 to buy Nintendo and the games that went with it. Like I was excited about both of those things. And so I remember earning that much money and I was just as thrilled to drop that $100 in the plate as it went by as I was to play those games. And from that moment on, the habit was formed in my life. And J.D. Rockefeller said, I never would have been able to tithe the first million dollars I ever made if I would not have tithed my first salary 
which was $1.50 a week. We need to get into the habit while you're younger. Now, some of you guys might sit there and go, well, I don't really classify myself as young anymore. <laughs> and uh, we can't do anything about the past. But I will tell you this, you're never getting any younger. So go ahead and start right now. Work on being disciplined to change the habits that you formed up to this point. Which leads me to the third thing I'd tell you. And it's simply this, just do it. Like, just do it. You can always come up with a reason of why not to. Or if I want to be really bold, we could take out the word reason and we could call them excuses. I can always come up with an excuse of why not to give. But with every roadblock that there is, each one of them is overcomable. And so the question is, am I going to choose to quit making excuses and just do it? Let me ask this question. If you were to reduce your income by 10%, would you die? 10%, would you die? I'm not saying would that make life a lot harder and you'd have to figure things out, but would you die? And if your answer is no, then you've admitted that you can afford to do this. It's just a question of, do I really want to do this or not? Am I willing to discipline myself? Am I willing to put in those hard steps here at the beginning to figure out how this all works? And as I said a while ago, it's not always easy to give, but I will tell you this. It is easier to live in 90% or 50% or even 10% inside the will of God than 100% outside of it. It is easier to do that. And so try giving and then just step back and watch how God will take care of you in ways that you never thought. And if you really start giving, like you try giving, you'll find out that it doesn't become about legalism. It all becomes this act of worship that you find joy in being able to participate in. You know, in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, Jesus is quoted as saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And one person who learned this was the fictitious character, Ebenezer Scrooge in Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. And when the story begins, whether you've just watched one of the movies or anything like that, he is wealthy, he is miserable, he's horrendously greedy, he complains about everything. But then after that night that he encounters the three spirits, he is given the second chance at life. And listen to how he is described in the book. He went to church and he walked about the streets and he watched the people hurrying to and fro and he patted children on the head and he questioned beggars and he looked down into the kitchens of houses and up to the windows and he found that everything could yield him pleasure. He had never dreamed that any walk, that anything could give him so much happiness. You see this man that once scoffed at charity, he now takes his greatest delight in being able to give to others, to be part of their lives. And on the final page, Dickens says this of Scrooge. Some people laughed to see the alteration in him, but he let them laugh and little heeded them. His own heart laughed, and that was quite enough for him. And it was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well if any man alive possessed the knowledge. You see, Scrooge, he gained this eternal perspective, and it changed his life completely. Let's not allow roadblocks of thinking that it's all my money to do with what I want, or even unbelief or a lack of trust. Let's not allow roadblocks of material or materialism, or even that this world is our home, stop us from experiencing the joy that God wants us to have, this joy of fully having this treasure. And up front, you should know 
that letting God change you into a generous person can seriously change your life. In one of his books, A.M. Hunter relates the story of a dying man who asked his Christian doctor to tell him something about the place that he was about to go. And the doctor, he was fumbling around for a reply, and he heard a scratching at the door, and at that, he had his answer. And he asked the patient, do you hear that? That's my dog. I left him downstairs, and he has grown impatient, and he has come up because he hears my voice, but he has no notion as what is inside this door, but he knows that I am here. Isn't that the same with you? You don't know what lies beyond the door, but you know that your master is there. This world that we're living in right now, it is not our home, and we should long to go home to be with our master, the father whose voice speaks truth. And even if we don't know everything about our eternal home, we know that we have been given access because Jesus made a way. He gave everything he could so that we could have life. Every moment of his life on earth, even his moments upon the cross, every single one of them was for you and for me. And God is saying to all of us, hey, do you really care about your three years in this hotel room? Or do you want to have this life that is beyond that time, that is far greater than you can imagine, a life that I want you to have. See, by giving him your life today, by entrusting everything you have to him, you receive this treasure that is far greater, and it's definitely worth the cost. And so today, if you want to be saved from this life that you've tried to manage completely on your own up to this point, or maybe, like you would say, I am stuck, you feel it, like Scrooge was, he didn't even realize it, but I know that I'm stuck and I want this new life that God offers. And I encourage you to head to one of the decision points during this next song. We have people that want to pray alongside of you and be able to experience this joy that God offers. And some of you, maybe there's just things you want prayer for, anything, which can even be, I want to start giving. I don't want these roadblocks to keep me from experiencing what God has for me. If that's you, you can go there as well. But let's leave today saying no more roadblocks. Whether that's in giving, whether that's in life, let's experience what he has to offer. Let's all stand as we sing.